Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, aren't you glad that you live in a country where the government acknowledges officially that you have rights? True? Well, that's still true. Okay. That is the country we live in. The Declaration of Independence um, talks about this. And do we have that slide, Anthony? The Declaration? Okay. Uh, And it says right in there in the early part of it that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights. Okay, and our government founded acknowledging those facts that God has given human beings certain rights and those rights really are are given to us to protect us in a fallen world to here's how we have to interact with each other and to we have to protect one another's rights. Okay, and so um, this idea of uh, rights First of all, I'm glad that what our government did in its founding was recognize those rights. It did not give us those rights. And that's what the Declaration says very clearly, that that God has given us these rights. And and it actually goes on and says that government is instituted to secure those rights. Okay? So this idea of these rights, rights given to us by God, there are probably some other nations who have something similar to this, but most don't. Most are not founded on this. And and the reason I talked about it's important that that our founding uh, documents acknowledge that God is the one who gave the rights because if government gives the rights, government can do what? Take the rights away. And now the reality is that government cannot take your rights away. God gave them to you. They can violate your rights, but they can't take them away. Okay, And so it's good that we live in a country that was established with that in the beginning. And, and that understanding is still there in a fairly, fairly broad sense. Now, um, it's very American then to think about our rights. I have a right to this or that. In fact, if you want to get somebody riled up, you try to tell them they can't do something or, you know, whatever. And it's, well, I have a what? But I got a what? I got a right. Okay? So it's very American for us to think in terms of rights that we have. Now, uh, overall, that's probably a good thing for us. Uh, we might get too carried away with it sometimes, but overall, that's a, a good thing, I would say, for, for a nation, for a government. Um, and, uh, okay, just so you know, that's disappearing up here, but that, that's Okay. I just want to make sure it isn't disappearing back there. But this approach to us as modern Americans and our concept of rights can become a problem for us when it comes to something that is really important. It's it's a core understanding when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. And so it can get in the way. And so we need to, as we, when worshiping here today and as we, we come to God's word today, we need to make sure that we're starting at the top of this list over here. We surrender 
to the Lord. And so what I want to challenge you today, because I am going to challenge you from the word today. What I want to challenge you right now about is let's settle in our hearts right now that, that whatever God actually says, we're going to go with. Okay? Let's, in fact, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Okay, Father, we do come before you and we are grateful, Lord, for the nation in which we live and the freedoms which we experience and, and the rights which are written into our, our governing documents, Lord, that, that enable us to be free to pursue whatever you lead us to. And we, we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that, that uh, we would always remember there's something higher than that, something more important than that. And that we would surrender our hearts and minds to you right now to Lord to say that even if we hear something uh, maybe a little different to us or we hear something that sounds difficult or whatever it is, Lord, but we'd already settle right now Lord, that we want to hear what you have to say, and then we will yield ourselves to it. Of course, we ask you to work in your spirit in our hearts and minds to, to help us with that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to be on page 1315. First Corinthians chapter six. The Corinthian church had lots of issues Paul's dealing with. He still said they were a great church, but they had issues and they had to work on those and struggle with them. And one of those was, you know, trying to outline what was acceptable in their lives as Christians. You know, some of them coming out of the Jewish religion, uh, food offered to idols, which were then sold in the marketplace, and how do we handle that? And really they were having a problem with sexual immorality. Okay, because that was rampant in their culture. And so they came to Christ in the middle of, of living those ways. And so Paul is addressing these things. And here in chapter six, just before the verses we're going to take a look at, he, he's saying, look, you know, um, he's dealing with the idea of eating. He says, okay, you can eat whatever. It's kind of like what you choose to eat is not a big deal. But then he goes all the way to sexual immorality and how that is no good. It's not good. It doesn't fit in your life. And so we have this broad gamut from something that's seemingly insignificant as what you eat all the way to your sexual morality, which is a huge deal and affects your life in huge ways. All the way across this, and he's trying to help them to see a core truth that we want to understand. And so let's go here. Let's look in verse 19. He says this. He says, or do you not know? Okay, so all this he's talked about is based on what he's going to tell us here. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, so let's just walk through that again. He says that God has moved in. <laughs> God has taken up residence. Why has God taken up residence? Well, he bought the residence, right? And, and so he moves in. And that's what he says here, you know. You are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. Why? Because you were bought at a price. And that price was the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us. He says, as a result, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so the title of this sermon series is Owned. You are owned. Typically in our culture, you hear someone, you're owned. That sounds like a bad thing. 
And as we first take a look at this in scripture, we might feel like it's a bad thing, but before we're done, you'll see that it is not. But we are on. And so here's first truth. You are God's possession. You are God's possession. That's what it says here, right? You don't belong to you. God bought you. That, that, I guess maybe that's an easy thing to say, but let's, we want to think about what the ramifications of this are today, okay? You are God's possession. In fact, if you have this is only if you've received Christ as Savior. You know, if you're here today and you haven't received Christ as Savior, you haven't made that once and for all decision, then you're not here yet. But most of us have. And, and those of you who are watching, the same. If we have received Christ as Savior, I would say you are a possession. So let's say this together. Let's say, I am God's possession. Say that with me. I am God's possession. Hopefully before we're done, you'll say that like you mean it, right? I am God's possession. You are God's possession. We are God's possession. And he, he purchased us. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be at page 1391 in the Bible that's there under the chairs. Peter here is talking about what has happened to us when we came to Christ and, and how it ought to motivate us to live holy lives. We'll start in verse 17. He says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. What a neat way to think about your life, the time of your stay here. I just went to, flew to Des Moines, Iowa, and got a ride with my brother up to his place in Ames, and I stayed there for 10 days. So during my stay here, right? But that's our whole lives. During our stay here, interesting. But he says, uh, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And, and when the Bible talks about us fearing, it isn't this idea of oh, cringing in a corner, right? Fearful, no, but it's like, wow, th this is important. What I do here is gonna make a huge difference. I really need to pay attention. And so he's saying, when your life, you need to approach your life that way. Because you could mess up your life, did you know that? And I think we ought to fear messing up our lives. And so we want to conduct ourselves in a way that does not do that. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So you were bought at a price, we read over in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and now here we learn what this price was. It was the precious blood of Christ. It was Christ dying on the cross, paying the penalty for every sin I have ever committed, every sin I ever will commit, and the same for you, and the same for every person in the whole world. He, how big a price is that? How big a price did he have to pay for you? For me, it's beyond our ability to comprehend, to fully comprehend that. But he said this idea of being redeemed, you were bought back. But there's one more interesting phrase here. I just want to just hit on the way by here. In the middle of verse 18, he says that he redeemed us from your aimless conduct. Aimless conduct. Do you know, we are at risk of living aimlessly. And you can say, well, no, I have goals, I have things I'm working on, I'm disciplined, I'm, I very much know where I'm going. Yeah, but with respect to your relationship with God, you can do all of that and still be aimless. 
just wandering when it comes to being a Christian. And so we don't want to be that. And part of not being that is recognizing that he has redeemed us, that he has purchased us, that with, at great price, the blood of Christ, he's purchased us and we now belong to him. That's a starting point for everything else as we go forward. All right, so you are God's possession. Turn to Colossians chapter one. I want to show you some other things that that means. Colossians chapter 1, this page 1352 in the Bible that's there in the chair. So again, Paul here is talking about what's happened in the believers' lives and what he prays for them about. And in verse 12, he, here's some more what he prays about. He says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So stop there. Before we received Christ, we were unqualified. We were sinful. We were sinful in our very being. There was no inherent righteousness in us. In fact, we go to the Old Testament. We know what Isaiah says, that all of our righteousness is these filthy, ugly rags, right? So we had nothing to go. But when Jesus came and died for us, you know, he exchanged our sin. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And, and then he came and lives within us and we are born again. And, and deep down the side, there's a change that's been made that will uh, never go away, and it, hopefully it's working its way out into our lives, but he qualified us. See, we can say, oh, I'm, I'm not qualified, I shouldn't, you know, I can't, I, I'm not worthy of having all kinds of stuff, and, and in one sense that's absolutely true, right? But in another sense it's not true anymore because God moved in, Jesus moved in, the Holy Spirit moved in you, changed you deep down inside, gave you his righteousness, made you righteous in God's eyes, all these things, are you now qualified? What does it say? He qualified us to be partakers of these things. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So he's actually made a change in our spiritual condition, our spiritual, I don't know how you have spiritual locations, but a spiritual location. We were in the kingdom of darkness. The best that we could see and figure out and do wasn't God's way. And yet he saved us. When he did, he conveyed us. He, he moved us. When I got on the plane in Boston, it conveyed me to Iowa. And I was in Iowa. Okay, I wasn't in Boston anymore. And that's what God has done with us. He's moved us from death and spiritual darkness into light and the kingdom of his love. And then it says again, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have been purchased bought back by the price of his blood. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. I should have told you to, to stay there. I mean, to keep it marked. Let's read it again, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Okay, so that's the fact. We are owned. What does that mean in our lives? That's just something we put on our list of things we believe. Well, no, that's never the intent with what God tells us. And he says, okay, because this is true, he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In your body and spiritually. So on the inside and the outside, what else is left? <laughs> if we get your insides and we get your outsides, what's left? 
Nothing, okay? And I don't mean your intestines, that's part of your body. The spiritual part of you, your soul, as well as your body and what you do with it in this world, all this kind of stuff. He says, with your whole being then glorify God because you belong to him. And so that's the uh, second truth that I want you to understand here. As God's possession, your whole life should glorify him. Your whole life. Every part of it, body and spirit, inside and out, which means your actions, your thoughts, your beliefs, your attitudes, your motivations, with all of that, glorify God. All right. That's a nice religious term, isn't it? Glorify. Glorify God. What in the world does it mean? Good question. Well, the root word here is glory. So let's talk about what is glory. And if something is glorious, what does that mean? And I, I, you know, I think about something that is glorious or glory and what it's like. I'm thinking of something that is amazing. If it's, it's glorious, it's, if it's amazing, if it's, if it's awesome, it's glorious. If it's deep, you know what I mean? Just, wow, is that deep? That's glorious. If it's huge, it's glorious. If it's, uh, if it's mercy shown to those who don't deserve it, that's glorious. If it's, if it's granting us life and truths about ourselves that change, that's glorious. All these things are glorious. Okay? Now, is there anything about God that is glorious? It's sort of not a trick question. I tell you, that's a real easy question, right? Is there anything about God that's glorious? Yes. Okay. Is is there anything about God that's not glorious? Not a trick question. No. There's nothing about God that is not glorious. If you could see God and experience God and know things about God, every place that you look, wow, that is glorious. Everything about God is glorious. So, uh, we think about this in creation. Like I said, most mornings, not every morning, but I like to when I can sit out on my deck and I look out across the yard, out into the woods. I watch the squirrels. You know, once a year I see a deer. Uh, it's, and the, the bird, it's just amazing, okay? And God tells us in, in, uh, through Paul in Romans that he indeed has revealed himself in creation. I don't know about you. Do you ever feel like creation is glorious? Man, you know, I was out in Iowa. And, and by the way, I, I, I'm always reminded, I go back to the Midwest, that, wow, there's a big sky. Because <laughs> I don't see it that much here, right? With the trees and the hills and all that. But man, beautiful sunrises, sunsets. Uh, Flying over the countryside and thinking about it, uh, like sitting at home and watching something silly as a leaf that, that breaks and falls down and the flowers and everything. God has revealed himself. In, and I would say, boy, that's glorious. This is glorious. That's glorious. So what is it? That means God, the glorious creator, has shown himself or expressed himself in this glorious creation. We ought not be surprised. The creation is glorious because the creator is glorious. And so what we're seeing there is God says, you know, we, he can be known in creation. You can look at creation and conclude that there must be a God and that he must be powerful 
that he can be known. And, and so what creation is, is God revealing himself, but I want to say it this way. He's expressing himself. And so let's think glory then is God's expression of himself. When we see something glorious, what's happening? God is expressing himself, okay? So when we think about then in our own lives, how in the world do we glorify him? Well, you think if I try real hard, I can add to God's glory? No, the answer is no, that's a quick. No, I can't add to God's glory. I can't add to it anyway, so how in the world can I glorify him? Well, what I can do is let a glorious God be seen in my life, right? And so people then can see God expressing himself in my life, through my life, as I live and pattern my life his way. So we glorify God by allowing him to be seen in our lives. And it's not always necessarily seen by anybody else. It might not be, but it's seen by me in my life, seen by you in your life. So let me just give you some examples of how we might do this and how this works out in our lives. So uh, first of all, we glorify him, you know, because he, we, we want him to be our very reason for living. Okay. And so it answers the why question in our lives or ought to be able to. It doesn't always because... Just, you know, I am a huge work in process, okay, in progress, as are you. So don't take this as a heavy weight today, but take it as, wow, this is something I can lean into, something I can grow in. But so our entire lives ought to be seen that this is why we live, because of him. Uh, and this, this, this is then why we do things that we do. It's why we don't do things we don't do. It's why we do things the way we do them. And so here's just some ideas. Uh, ask some questions and give a quick answer. Why do I get up when I get up? Well, that could be embarrassing sometimes to talk about, right? Because I don't always do a good job of it. But, but the answer, why do I get up when I get up? It ought to be, well, because of God's working in my life. He's led me to, to get up at this time. Okay. Why do I regularly spend time in God's word? Because I have a relationship with God and I want to know his heart and mind. Why am I gracious, kind, and friendly? Because that's how God had treated me and still does treat me. Why am I honest in my dealings? Well, because God is what? Honest, he's holy. He does what's right. Why do I give generously of my time, my money, and my abilities? Well, because God gave generously to me when he saved me. And he gives generously to me every day as he meets my needs and works in my life. Why do I treat everyone as valuable, even those who are socially awkward and off-putting? Do you know anybody like that? And if you can't think of anybody like, like that, it might be you. But why, why do I treat those people as valuable? Because God valued me when I was spiritually awkward and off-putting. Why do I go to work faithfully, work diligently? Well, because of what God tells me in his word about that and what he wants me to do. Why am I faithful to my wife? Because God says to be. And because he has always been faithful to me. Why do I love my kids the way I do? Because of the way God loves his kids. 
Why do I love other people's kids too? Well, because God loves people who aren't his kids yet. Right? And on and on and on and on it goes. And you get the idea that, that what's happening in my life is my life is, is becoming inseparably entwined with God expressing himself in my life to me and through me to the world around me. And so what we, we, we need to do is we need to cooperate with God in it, see? You know, we need to be mindful of these things. Think about it, do things on purpose, cooperate with him about it. And so then we let him and his word shape our lives. And then what happens is when we live that way, he will be seen in our lives. That's an expression of his glory. That's an expression of himself. God is glorified. Now, that was kind of a long way to get there, but do you see it? And it hit me this earliest morning, I was thinking about this. Well, people will see God's glory if I, fill in the blank, glorify if I. So that's how we glorify him. And, and I would say to you that as I describe this to you, that this is where it starts to become a problem for those of us who are modern Americans and just have understood the world the way we do as Americans and rights and all this kind of stuff, and it can get in the way of what God has called us to, the high calling. So understand this, if he purchases, he paid a price for us, a great price, more than we can fathom, and he moved in, he's taken up residence, he's taken ownership, and so then we are to glorify him. When my life is truly about glorifying God, then my life is not about anything else, ever. When I'm doing this, right? Glorify God in your body and your spirit with your whole being. Part of the time, God says, give me 10% of your body and spirit. 10% of your, no, all of the time. And so when we say we, we're gonna glorify God with our lives, it's, it's not about anything else, never, ever. It's, that means that every moment of my life, and this is where I say we're obviously works in progress, right? We're a long way from this, but this ought to be the goal, this ought to be my intent, this ought to be the desire of my heart, that every moment of every day, I'm, I'm letting God shape my life so that he can be seen in my life by me and through me. He's gonna be glorified in me. That is all my life is about. And that's, that's why, I, I, I know I work as a pastor, but forget that, but that's why I go to work. That's why you should be going to work, right? That's why you should be faithful in your relation, all these kinds of things. Because every part of your life, every moment of your life should be about bringing glory to God. And if you ever determine that something that you're doing is in your life cannot glorify God, then guess what? Doesn't belong. Time to let that one go. Figure out how to do something different. Make a change. Of course, God will help you. But now, so I'm saying that. So, okay, so every, every aspect of my life, from the time I wake up in the morning and, and everything I do all day and when I go to bed at night and all that kind of stuff, and I don't have a lot of control over what's happening in the night. I'm not going to sweat that one. <laughs> but it all ought to be about glorifying God cooperating with him, letting him shape my life according to his truths, the truths of his word, so that he can be seen in me and to me and through me. And that's it. Now, 
This is where the, our, our modern American mindset comes in problem. Say, well, wait a minute. Don't I have any, what? Rights? Don't I have any rights? Hmm. God has given us rights. We saw that, we talked about that earlier. But I want you to understand that God gave us rights in a fallen world to provide protection for human beings because they're important. All right, come back to that thought in just a moment. Here's the truth. You don't have any rights as God's possession. Hard truth, isn't it? Now let me just appeal to you here. There was a time in, in, recorded in John chapter 6 and Jesus talking about what needs to happen for a disciple, how they need to look at stuff, how they need to eat his body and drink his blood. And he wasn't talking about physically. He's talking about really taking it in. But they were having a hard time with this. And it says, they said, this is a hard saying. And from that time forth, many of them stopped following. Now, I love it. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, are you going somewhere too? You guys taking off? And Peter didn't say it wasn't hard. He says, where would we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. And so I want to say it to you today. So this truth, as God's possession, you have no rights. Wow, that's a hard saying. I'm calling you, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Hang in here. Now, because here's what you need to understand. You know, the idea that you have no rights because every whole life is about glorifying him and doing things his way, all that kind of stuff. Whether, by the way, whether it's recreation or, or going on a vacation or whatever it is, right? You, you can say, I'm going to cooperate with you, God, in this. And shape my life so you can be seen in my life and through my life. Right? That's all my life is about. Don't have any rights. No, you don't have any rights. Here's a glorious truth. Not only is it true you don't have any rights, here's the reality. You don't need any rights as God's possession. Why do you need rights in our world, in our fallen world? Why is it important that, the, that our government documents said we have rights that have been given to us by God? Why, is, why would God do that? To do what? To protect us. To protect human beings made in his image that ought to be treated as valuable. To provide protection in a world that is quite ready to try to, to violate those rights. Okay? So, God gave rights to protect us. What do you need to be protected from God about? Nothing, right? God as your owner is the best thing that ever happened to you. Because he goes to work in your life and he loves you with the kind of love the Bible talks about where he is always acting in your best interest, always acting in your best interest. And sometimes that differs from what we think is best. But he really knows what's best. Those of you who've ever been parents, did you ever disagree with your children about what was in their best interest? All the time. 
And so it shouldn't surprise us that there are going to be times when we're going to disagree with God about what's in our best interest. You know, I don't like this. It's hard. I, I want whatever. It doesn't matter. God is always acting in our best interest. And unlike us as human parents, God has the ability to bring it all to pass. He's going to care for us. He is good. He's going to provide for us. He's going to give us those things that we need and do in our lives those things that need to be done. Consider what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? <laughs> he already paid the hugest price. Everything else is what? Small stuff from God's perspective. He's going to care for us. He's going to provide for us. So the reality, two truths. You don't have any rights as God's possession, but you don't need any. Now, you might be here having, feeling a sense of objection to this, and it might run something like this. Well, okay, I'm God's possession, and I don't feel like he's doing a very good job of taking care of his possession. This has happened to me. This has been done to me. I don't have this. I don't have that. And those are hard things, aren't they? Those are hard questions to answer people. I want to say to you that I'm not going to ignore those, but we're going to get into those next Sunday. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week uh, as part of this sermon series. But I do want to say this to you. That, say, April 4th, 1975, close to 10 o'clock at night, when I finally said, okay, God, I know I'm not saved, and I believe in Jesus, and I trust him, and I receive him, this Savior, and, and he forgave every sin. As we read, he moved in. He took up residence and, and began working and changing. But here's what I want you to know. If God never does anything for us besides saving us from the hell that we deserve, we've already got everything we need, more. You understand what I'm saying? Right? The fact that we aren't going to get what we deserve in eternity. How in the world can we then become demanding of God? Well, you haven't taken care of me well. You know, we, we really need to get to that place where we are so grateful. And so any other thing that happened is, you could call it is gravy, right? Or it's the icing on the cake. And let me tell you, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you're going to start to discover, I got a lot of gravy. And I got a lot of icing on the cake. So don't let this ruffle your, the feathers of your soul here that you don't have any rights because you don't need any. And so the truth I want to leave with is it's this kind of summary statement, simple statement. We belong to God. Can you say that with me? We belong to God. Turn to Romans chapter 14. This is what we'll end with today. Many, many years ago, Glenda and I were going to Bible college preparing for the ministry. We uh, were encouraged to pick out a verse that seemed extremely significant to us for us in our lives, and we did, and had no clue how many times this would come back and just help. 
Romans 14, here in this passage, Paul's talking about decisions we all got to make. Decisions when we aren't sure, should we do this or that? And what would God want and not want? All that kind of stuff. And he puts this right in the middle of this conversation. Verse 8, he says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are owned. We are his possessions. We belong to him and nothing better could have ever happened to us. Father, thank you for your word. I, I'm just so grateful, Lord, that you reveal this to us and that, that you have taken ownership of us. And, and you've moved in and you're working for, for our well-being and your glory. You will be glorified, Father, as you bring about our well-being. And help us to, to believe today and remember, Father, that there's nothing... No better thing we could ever do to surrender except surrender to you in this. For when we are most surrendered to your will is when we find the greatest blessing in life, Lord. Help us remember that. I do pray, Father, if someone here has not ever settled that decision about receiving Christ as Savior, or someone watching or listening later, Lord, I pray that they will reach out to us and, and we can show them, Lord, how they can become your possession, your cherished possession. So help us, Father, to go from here and, and to ponder these things and let it shape our hearts and minds and the decisions of our lives that we might do a more faithful, better job of glorifying you this week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.